Welcome to Any Way You Want It. I'm your host, Kaylin McDuff. I'm an LA-based coach for women who want to create lives based on desire. Here on the show, we like to have real conversations about sex, relationships, and life through talks with everyday people, experts, friends, and everything in between. I give you a plethora of options, different relationship models, new mindsets, perspectives, and paradigms. Listen for what sounds interesting to you and follow that. This is just the beginning of you having a life designed entirely from the specificity of your desire. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Any Way You Want It. Um, I am excited and intrigued today uh, with the guests that I have um, for you all. So I am being joined by um, Dr. Alexandra Stockwell today, and she is known as, are you ready for this? the intimacy doctor and um, she is an intimate marriage expert who specializes in coaching couples to build beautiful long-lasting passionate relationships and um, for those of you who have been like listening to this show for a while y'all know like I am here for that and um, one of my uh, like deepest values is creating relationship that that actually just like works for you so like taking all of the shit that people say in the world and saying like, wait a minute, let me just examine this. Like, what do we actually um, want to create? So anytime there's another person who's like, yeah, I want to nerd out on that. Um, I am here for it. So um, Alexandra, um, a few other things you should know about her. Um, so she is a best-selling author of a book called Uncompromising Intimacy. And she also hosts a podcast of her own um, called the Intimate Marriage Podcast. So I don't even know um, where this conversation is going to go today, but I can't wait um, to just uh, to just see what unfolds. And I I really trust um, the, I trust the universe when I uh, get introduced to people that I've like, that I haven't met before. You know, like I, I have a lot of people on the show that are sort of like in my network and in my community. And then I get a lot of pitches too. And most of them I say no to, but I always like stop and like feel and like, what's the energy of this person? you know, um, cause I'm not just like an automatic, no, I'm like, I genuinely want to, you know, talk to new people, uh, but I'm kind of particular, you know, and I just, when I, um, you know, heard from your team, Alexandra, I was like, Oh, I like slowed down for a second. And I was like, wow, like I can just see this is like a woman of integrity which is so important to me. And so I'm really happy to have you here today. Thanks for being here. What a magnificent, delicious introduction. <laughs> I have some secrets to tell you then because I have a podcast booking agency. Like they're not specific to my team, but they, yeah. they, they do research and mm -hmm. pitch me. And so they chosen yeah that, you know has a podcast that would be good but then once you accept they tell me and then I check you out <laughs> we actually have a lot of a lot of common communities and yeah it's not six degrees of separation it's actually one degree of separation <laughs> so while yeah I'm not someone <laughs> circle I mean, yeah. I have been and people totally. in your inner circle are in my circle and I'm in theirs. And so you yeah. have a lot of synergy. Yeah. By technically being strangers. Right. I know. I was like, oh, my God, we have all these Facebook friends in common and, you know, whatnot. And so I was like, oh, you know, I, I think I'm supposed to know this woman. <laughs> yeah. And I was so. like, this is a familiar name. 
do yeah. I already know her? Right. But, but I know um I, I know you from Desire on Fire. So Oh, okay. Got it. Yes. Yes. My friends, Amy and Ellie, they run that community. And um, I'm, I've been very just involved with them over the years. And I'm like always backing them and they're always backing me. And so, yeah, yeah. I think I saw your name there and Amy used to be a student of mine and colleague. So Anyway, let's dive in. But oh I my god! To be transparent, I love that talking to <laughs> a stranger at all, and I don't really move through the world as though anyone I'm interacting with is a stranger in that sense. But totally. Even so, we have we have wow. energetic webs of connections connections yeah i love it um well so i know that you've been like doing this work um for for quite a while since like you know well before coaching was cool you know and um so i would just love to hear like sort of how you know how your path winded you into this line of work okay well let me start with Steve Jobs quote that you can only connect the dots in hindsight. So I yeah. start further back. Yeah. Set the context. So I remember actually being in college. I'm 54 now. And so I was in college a while ago, but thinking like, what am I going to do with my future? I was interested in so many things. And I had three parameters that I identified. I was a philosophy and math major, so I really could have gone in any direction, but I was like, I want to do something that the world needs that I would be good at and that would be stimulating and nourishing for me in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. And based on what I knew, I became a physician. I went to medical school. I trained. I have my own holistic medical practice north of Boston for a number of years, and now, I'm past college. I'm in my mid-30s. I am married. I have four children, but at the time I had three. I've paid off my medical school loans. I've spent about 15 years working very hard to get to where I am, highly motivated and ambitious to create the life I now have. But I didn't feel that sense of deep satisfaction and like I'd arrived and was glad to continue doing what I was doing for, an for another three or four decades. Mm -hmm. I wasn't burnt out. I loved being a doctor. It was more at the level of a whisper. Mm -hmm. And at the time, 2004, 2005, the only doctors I knew who had stopped practicing clinical medicine. It was due to addiction or an injury. It was involuntary, unless maybe they went into, you know, pharmaceutical research or something. But I didn't know, I didn't personally know anyone who had walked away from medicine. Now there's actually a widespread phenomenon of physician burnout and people mm. in clinical positions. But again, I didn't know anybody. And I actually felt ashamed to, I knew that lots of people had invested in me just from a position of society. I'd taken a spot in medical, a coveted spot in medical school. And I felt right. that I like a duty to society and there's, there's a prestige in being a physician. So anyway, I took a sabbatical. I dialed my practice down and took a sabbatical for a year. And my intention was to discover what it would be like as an adult woman to do things because I felt like it. Mm. Because everything up until that time, even going on vacation, it was a means to an end. It was to create a particular life for myself, for my husband and me, for our family. It was, like it was everything, I suppose, purpose-driven is the highfalutin way of describing it. but. Just everything was a means to an end, even mm -hmm. having sex. I don't just mean making a baby. I just mean like it was because that's what I needed to do to have a good marriage. It was a whole mindset. Right. And I really wanted to 
I didn't know what was on the other side of that, but I knew even though the things I was doing were good means to get to very good end, I wanted to, I wanted to like take off that paradigm shackle. Mm-hmm. So it was not very easy to do this, but I found the courage to just sit by the river because I felt like it. Like I tried to figure out what would it be like as a mature woman to just follow my nose. And I didn't have all day. I, I, I had three children. I had a house to manage and dinner to cook and a husband. And my kids at that time were in school and, you know, which meant I was involved with the school. Um, because... Yeah, sabbatic, sabbatical. You're like, okay, I'm actually. <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't have my feet up eating bonbon. Yeah, you're like, I'm now becoming a full time like mom. <laughs> yeah, and I also took classes and I did different things. And one thing led to another. I uh, in 2007 went deep and did all of Mama Gina's classes at the School of Womanly Arts more than once. And I I went in spiritual, sensual, artistic directions in different ways. And my life began to have a sense of blossoming. And one thing led to another, and it was actually when I was pregnant with my fourth child, that I wanted to really turn my attention to sensuality and sexuality in the context of my marriage like that was the next and felt like final frontier because I knew how to be present and enjoy myself in other arenas and I really wanted to expand that in terms of what happens with sensual erotic intimacy so I did a very very in-depth training that doubled as a coach training but that's not why I did it I didn't really know what a coach was I took my MD after my name seriously and wouldn't have thought of going to a coach. But I'm super curious. And so I went to the teaching lab just to see, okay, for the people on the coach training track, what were they doing? Mm -hmm. And I just loved it. So (laughs) I knew I'd like come home to the thing I'd been looking for originally. So I didn't set out to become an marriage expert and a relationship and intimacy coach. I really arrived there through my personal journey, but I very much draw on all kinds of skills and ways of thinking and recognition of patterns from being a physician. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can just imagine having like such an in-depth look at like just, you know, seeing people in that context. You know, I feel like you really see like just like a cross section of the world and like the challenges that people are facing. You mean as a physician? Yeah. 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 That's that's definitely true. But, you know, I I always had my attention on things like there was this one family um, who's a girl starting when she was about five and I probably saw her when she was nine who had uncontrolled asthma like it seemed to be controlled she was doing fine with her medications and her inhalers and then every so often she would come in with just a very severe uncontrolled asthma attack and need to be put in the ICU and what eventually came out is that her father was violent towards her mother and her asthma was actually well controlled. But at a certain point when her father was beating her mother, her intervention, if you will, was to have an asthma attack. Then the father stopped hitting the mother. Both of them turned their attention to the daughter, brought her into the emergency room. It was her way of stopping Um, that from happening. And so I, I really, I saw a lot of things where what was happening didn't seem to be what was happening is I guess mm-hmm. the only way to put it. And I really think of my work accordingly, like, yeah, 
I work with couples. I focus on communication and all of the awkwardness and ecstasy of sexual activities. And one of my deepest motivations is to serve children. And the best way that I know to serve children is to teach their parents how to have absolutely fantastic relationships. Mm. Not just because of the example that I gave. I also mean it just like the way to transform the world, the way to create a more connected world is for children of any age to have a legacy of pleasure and connection from their parents. And actually, um, in preparing for this conversation, I listened to the interview with you and your mother, reminded of how (laughs) that's so meaningful Mm -hmm. at any age. Mm -hmm. Like there's no point at which a parent's transformation and ownership of her sensuality or his sensuality there's no point at which that's no longer relevant for the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Oh, thank you for listening to that. It was beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah, it's really, I mean, yeah. Bringing this this work home in, into family is like <clears throat> next level. Yeah, and actually, uh, do you have children? I don't, not yet. I'm, um, so I'm engaged, but uh, thank you. And, uh, yeah, we're planning on starting a family and, you know, we're, we're probably going to do that after we get married. Although we're not really that concerned with like, you know, getting the order of things, the order of things, but we're like, we're probably going to have kids after we get married. It's just what we're thinking right now. <laughs> okay. That's so good. When that's someone claiming any way you want it. Well, the reason that I'm asking is that, yeah. um, like I did a lot of my training and learning from people who were in, who were either young or otherwise single or polyamorous or just not going home to the suburbs as I was and not really telling people because they couldn't connect. But this is very important to my work in a way that is just sort of arising in this conversation because I think it's such a shame when sex and erotic connection are restricted to once children are in bed, once the work day is over, once the house is dinner's cleaned up, like right. all these other things happen. And if you both have enough energy, then in the Ugh. evening, that's when that part of you gets to be activated if you both feel like it. I think that's such a restricting yeah. view. And when you're less committed, let's just say, or you have fewer responsibilities, it's easier to bring that energy into the everyday. But I think there's a whole world of consciousness yeah. available for people with young children, people with high schoolers, empty nesters, people who are entrepreneurs, people who are doctors and lawyers, like you can have so much fullness in your life without pushing the erotic energy to the edges. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. say that from practice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am so, I'm so curious. And I mean, you know, I'll just say I like on a personal note, I'm like, I'm so grateful um, to just be in these, you know, communities like with women who have come before me in, you know, like long term committed partnership, you know, um, because, yeah, I'm like, I'm totally committed to like having hot sex for the rest of my life, you know, with my fiance and like um, and it's like, and- we have it realistic though. I'm yeah. just gonna interject like yeah. not every single time for the rest of your life. Right. But it's not you look for what's waiting to be revealed. Yeah, totally. I, I like I mean, something I've been present to recently is um 
that there are like there are ebbs and flows and like seasons and you know I've just been in so many conversations like with with with, like my women friends who are all like who are all in this space you know and I think there's like this this like expectation that that some of us have where it's like oh I should just be turned on all the time and it's like okay (laughs) hold on like there are you got to honor what's true and like turn on can look a lot of different ways I think so so I'm curious like in your marriage you know you've been married what 26 years 26 years yeah congratulations thank you yeah so I'm curious like um, what, like what erotic energy has looked like for you in some of these different stages? Okay. That, that's such a nuanced and precise way of asking questions. <laughs> so, um, in our particular circumstance, we met the first week of medical school. My husband is a physician and still a practicing physician. And so the first uh, 10 years, let's say, of our marriage. We were in medical school. We were in residency training. I had my first child after third year of medical school and my second one just before my internship. So the point I mean to make is that we had exams. We were working 70 to 100 hours a week. We had babies in diapers. And so the first 10 years, we had a very loving collaborative marriage but we really did not have time for erotic intimacy I mean it yeah when it happened I don't actually but but it just wasn't a major focus because we had other major focuses just mm-hmm. and each of us actually just assumed that when we had more time together that would be different mm-hmm. because the sex we had was good it's just that, you know, we had to get up in the morning and be in the hospital at 5.30 or 6 the next day. Right. So then we don't have babies and diapers. We're done with our training. We have weekends off. We have time together. But somehow there wasn't that much of a change. And this was the thing that, this was the first observation that was, very profound for me. And one of the things that I say to couples all the time, like, it's not more time that you need. That's what people usually think. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's it. But really, it's about learning to use every interaction as, as a way to connect with intimacy, whether it involves touching or not. I'm, I'm going to answer your question. Yeah. Take a detour and say, like, one of the things that I think is so important is transitions. Like, if one of you is leaving for work in the morning, you can just go. You can say, hey, I'm heading out. You can go find your partner and give a peck. Or you can go and it doesn't take, I mean, maybe it takes another second or two but not substantively more time and just really connect with one another. Let your souls touch through your lips touching, look in one another's eyes, like let it be a moment of connection with however much erotic energy rises. And then, you know, when you see one another again at the end of the day, it feels like a reconnection. These are ways to have, the erotic energy continuing to flow even while you are living your life and honoring your responsibilities. So I feel like in talking about the ebbs and flows of the sexuality in our marriage, it involves learning how to um, how to keep it from being compartmentalized, which in turn enhances when we're full on, full on. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll mm-hmm. stop there for yeah. a question. But what well, I mean to say is it's a journey. That's what yeah. I mean to say. 
Yeah, to- no, for sure. I, I feel that, but I, I, um, I love this piece about, um, yeah, just like not, not having to box it in to like, oh, after all the chores are done and the whatever, whatever. Right. Cause that's, it's just so unrealistic, I think. Um, and we are erotic beings, you know, like through and through that is our natural state. And so, yeah, I love, um, I love integrating like all of it, you know, I'm like, oh, wait, I'm in the kitchen right now. Like, why couldn't I just like get on my hands and knees and just like suck your cock for like a minute, you know? (laughs) Well, for sure, that would be a possibility. I love where you're going. Let me tell you my brain. I I mean, like with, but, but also like, here's the thing. I, I am, I want to hear your version because I'm like, okay, like, I'm get we're gonna have kids and you know what I mean? Like we're this is gonna shift in the next couple of years. And so I'm like, I'm here for it. Tell me, Alexandra. Okay, well, definitely get a home with high <laughs> counters so that you don't have to completely eliminate what you've described. And you know, have the kids the I don't know, play yeah. game or watching television and not being able to right. what's happening. But the the version for me that comes to mind, I've actually described the story in my book, Uncompromising Intimacy, where I realized at one point that I basically either ignored my husband or looked at him as a wonderful co-parent when the six of us were at dinner. You know, I'd be interacting for children. There's always conversation and do you want more to eat? Stop squabbling and whatever the case may be. And my husband was at the other end of the table. I like looking at him, but he just, I, I oriented to him in those contexts as a co-parent. And it occurred to me, here's this sexy man. He is the one that I make luck to. We are both present. I actually can presence myself as an erotic woman without changing a single thing. This is not about getting on my head and sucking at the dinner table. Just the being. That's right. And so Mm. I started playing with what happens when, as I sit at my end of the table... I like while we're speaking now, I'm like moving my hips slowly and like breathing a little more deeply. Like what happens when I marinate in my erotic reality and orient to him as this beautiful, responsive, erotic being I adore and mm. I continued to serve the broccoli and mashed potatoes. Yes. And here's the thing that was so amazing to me. First of all, dinner was way more fun for me. <laughs> it was just so much more fun. And these are the ways that erotic energy no longer feels compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. And even now that that happened 10 years ago and even now like we'll be in either a quiet or an animated dinner and we'll just look at one another and like I can feel him aware of his genitals I can feel me aware of mine but it's all imperceptible to the children but what I noticed is that when I did this like for me from how I was how I grew up the things I thought this was total taboo like it was way easier to go do some kinky thing in a kinky context than to be at a suburban dinner table with my family letting the erotic energy flow alongside my blood you know and I don't mean that in a graphic way yeah totally like move through my body the way blood flows through it and energy flows through it like erotic energy could flow through it too but my children were calmer Oh, yeah. Like, I thought it would be somehow disrespectful to them or 
invasive or get them riled up because I was feeling a little riled up. But no, they were calmer. And the meals when I have done this have been the most enjoyable for everybody. Less interrupting. It's like the same way that when you breathe more deeply riding a horse, the horse will slow down. And when you breathe more shallowly, it will speed up. Like there's something about a mother's energy and a parent's energy that can be in service of me and of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that so much. It's just such a, it's such a beautiful image. And uh, what a, like, what a fun game, you know? Totally. Like, <laughs> its name is discreet eroticism. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wait, are there any other fun games that you have that you just want to share? This is, I'm like, I'm very turned on about the game thing. Like we, we, my partner and I, we just like, our whole relationship is just, it's based on games, you know, like we're like, what is the next game we're going to (laughs) play? And so you're totally speaking my language here. Okay. Well, let's see. (laughs) Putting words to other games. I mean, I think, well, I'm, I'm I'm hesitating to put it this way because I don't want to be disrespectful, but I'm going to be transparent. Yeah. We call this the Albanian game. Okay. When I was a uh, uh, resident, my husband too, we trained where there were actually people from all over the world, but include, there was a very, very large population of Albanians. And we learned that when... You ask Albanian a question and the answer is yes. They nod their head side to side. Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, they do like this quick up and down nod. And so uh-huh. um, so I could call it the yes and no game, but in our family, we call it the Albanian game. And it's definitely true between my husband and me where um, like... He'll ask if I want something and I really want it, but I'll say no. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. Like there's a way in which the yes and the no's get mixed up and that requires more attention, more perception and more excitement. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this is not anything that I recommend early in dating. This is not anything I would ever recommend when consent is an issue. This is only long after consent is established that you can play with big signals Mm -hmm. in order to dial in how it really feels, even when the linguistic expressions seem to be pointing in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. I don't think I've ever talked with it. I mean, I've done this with my husband a lot, but I've never yeah. described it before because it's, it's not logic and it's not mind games. It's really mm-hmm. how much can you feel the thing, even if my words are causing camouflage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. There's like, uh, well, there's, yeah, it's, it's like you're bringing to light. There's a whole other, um, communication system that you can create when you have, um, when you have like a foundation of trust and you actually know how your partner gets off. Yeah, exactly. So like in, in, uh, we play a version of this game, but it's it's mostly just like, like he says the game is like he says something that's like kind of absurd. And then I love I get off on saying like, no, what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, we're going to blah, 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 blah. But whatever. he didn't ever really mean it. Well, but it's funny but though. Maybe he the, did. The intricacy of the game though, it's like it, it, the game stays hot because sometimes I say yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then he's like, wait, 
Like what? You know, like it's like he thinks he's throwing me off because he's just saying the most like absurd thing, you know. And um, he's like, oh, you know, we're going to like he'll just say something like, oh, yeah, like when we get like a live in girlfriend or, you know, just like whatever. Right. Whatever thing. And I'm like, babe, no, you know, but if there's something that I can actually be a yes to, I like, I so want to say yes, you know? And then it's like, it's a whole new game of him being like, wait, are you serious? Like what? What? (laughs) I love it. Yes. And you know, see, this is the thing that I actually just did a podcast about the antidote to boredom because In a long-lasting relationship, assuming there's no toxicity, there's no narcissism, there's no things that make what I'm about to say irrelevant, but basically when things are loving, stable, people want to stay together, then the biggest concern is that things are just kind of bland and flat, at least when it comes to sensuality and sexuality over time. And the antidote to that is growing and trying new things and continuing to learn sometimes independently as long as you bring the learning back into the relationship. So what I love so much about the game you described is that it keeps you both on your toes. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's like no, um, yeah, there's no like... uh about. Yeah, exactly. It's like every game we're playing. I I'm sure you know that book, like finite and infinite games. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we just like live by that, you know, we're like, <laughs> how do we create it on our first date? I was like, we're, I have a desire to create an infinite game, like with my life partner. <laughs> that is magnificent. And, you know, I'm realizing. <laughs> so a lot of my clients are one or both of them in the couple are doctors or lawyers or um, high up in entrepreneurial or corporate endeavors. And so I often present as fairly buttoned up, not in the topics I'm talking about, but in my mm-hmm. lives. And so maybe this is a game I play with myself that instead of calling it a game and distinguishing infinite and finite games, I always call it research. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just research what happens because that is just easier access than taking a challenging moment and bringing a game to it. That, like, that's not the thing I want to educate them on, but I do want to provide them that experience. And so... I research far more often and I'm just realizing oh, yeah. that we speak. Maybe I'll oh, yeah. the language of games a little bit more because I mean that. Right. Totally. Oh yeah. No, but I, but you know, I love a good like research also, you know, like <laughs> I'm just like, research- that's going to be like game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, research is hot, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> because the game of it is like, you're like, I don't actually know what's going to happen in this research. Like I'm genuinely like curious, you know? Totally. So. I was thinking of that because I think the capacity to cultivate curiosity is so right. fundamental. And that's what drives the, and that's what drives the research. It's Mm. One of the things that's so important in a long-lasting relationship is to be willing for everything to seem similar, but be willing to have a new experience. Mm. Like, yeah. If your partner does something or sends something and it used to always lead to this, that, and the other thing, to not, to like be willing to open to the fact that your partner could say that and it could lead somewhere different this time. Mm -hmm. So this isn't about trying to be insane in the sense of um, like insanity and 
trying the same thing over and over again and hoping for a new outcome. This is actually completely different. It's a mindset shift. It's an opening of the heart. It's a willingness to believe, not just randomly, but if your partner says, I mean it differently this time, to have the capacity to hear it differently this time and respond with a freshness. Yeah. Oh my God. That is like, that's the whole, that's the whole game, right? (laughs) If I might search, (laughs) if I might say, but yeah, I mean, the thing just as you like say that, you know, I'm just present to that in like, I think most relationships out there, like people are just carrying around a pile of incompletions, you know, and resentments. And so then they can't, do this thing that you're like talking about, you know, it's just to be like, wait, hold on. Let me open my heart and like, see this from like a totally, in a totally different possibility. Yeah. Well, one of the things like when I give lectures, I often talk about cultivating curiosity, one of the six keys to an intimate marriage and the easiest one to implement. And I'm always really moved because people who like, I've been married for 33 years. I have a good relationship. We're good. But they happen to be at the talk where I speak Mm. about the importance of curiosity. I speak maybe using different words, but exactly what we just exchanged and how asking an open-ended question versus a question that the answer is either yes or no. And there's a right answer and a wrong answer, but an open-ended question where you're just open to whatever the response is. And then people will go home and realize, I can't remember when I last asked an open-ended question. And I typically, two or three days after giving a talk, hear from people who thought they had a good marriage and there's no reason to ask they didn't, but they feel so much closer and more connected, more mm-hmm. intimate as a result of just presencing curiosity mm-hmm. it it's this miracle that is like if, if everyone tapped into that you and I would be living in a different world and having a different conversation <laughs> yeah totally I mean it's like it's so simple but it's so important to you know to to call that out because yeah I you know, in the world, I just like don't see a lot of that happening. That's right. Or behind closed doors, like in the yeah. world at large or behind closed doors. And it's not simple for everyone on every topic, but it mm-hmm. is a simple idea to just be curious and ask open ended questions and generously listen to a response without critiquing them. Yeah. And There's always going to be some topic that you can do that on, even if it's not the stickiest one that's up for you in your relationship in this moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I love that. Okay, I want to go in a completely... Not, it's not completely different direction, but I just, I just notice I have this, like this curiosity. I'm like, what was she going to say about this? Okay. So, so I want to hear your, um, one of the things I was just seeing in like in your bio and some of the things that you speak about is just like, um, yeah, like household chores and duties and kids and just like managing all of that. And, um, and so what's my actual question? It's like sort of, um, how do you, how do you talk about like, just, yeah, working with the realities of like running a life where you have all of these like domestic, you know, pieces and also like, um, maintaining okay i think now i'm i'm like getting the question as i say this it's like um maintaining your own individual identity like within that and maintaining like you know an erotic connection to your partner which i think like you know we right, had some examples question yeah and like i think we talked about some of that but i just sort of want to hear your 
expanded thoughts on this topic. Okay. Well, when I was, I was working in the clinic one day a week, but basically I was full-time at home with a one-year-old and a three-year-old and my husband was working, you know, 90, a hundred hours a week. I didn't see it very often. I didn't have very much money and I, I didn't have any help from anybody. And I remember reading a book and in the introduction was this question. What does everyone in this family need right now, including me? And when I read, <clears throat> what does everyone in this family need right now? Like I was tracking, you know, you tell me someone in my family and I know what they need right now. And I have their needs in mind and and managing everything so they can all fall into place like a, you know, pieces in a puzzle. But when I read, what does everyone in this family need right now, including me? Mm. I just burst into tears. I didn't actually read mm. the rest of the book, not because I had, I, like, right? I knew I just needed to live with that question. So mm -hmm. in, in really finding my way to, yeah, I is my 15th year of homeschooling. I have a very full professional life. My husband does. We have the four children. Like we don't have people nearby helping us. So yeah, I have a lot of responsibilities. But the first step was to just remember to ask that question. And that shifted something for me, even if I had no idea what the answer was or how I was going to implement anything. Mm -hmm. Just asking that question meant putting some attention on my own experience. And that the next phase was to start to have answers to what I need right now and then to make it happen. And I don't really ask myself that question particularly anymore, but I'm living with that question. It's it's well integrated, so I don't need to go up to my intellect and express it. And it turns out that what I needed, I mean, maybe sometimes I wanted education, but mostly what I needed was to feel supported or what I needed was to access joy or what does everyone in this family need right now, including me, a shower. <clears throat> like it turned out that the way to my erotic sovereignty, my sensual presence, my open heartedness in my marriage, what I needed was simple, but basic and essential. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, Maybe sometimes it was getting takeout, but mostly it was how I could feel, how I was talking with myself. Maybe I needed to slow down. Maybe I needed to speed up. But what I'm trying to convey in my answer is that this is a very sacred and defining question to ask. And initially, it's not about the answer. It's just about making permission for what I need to be at least as important as what other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that feel like an answer? <clears throat> yeah, I love that. It's, uh, you know, again, it's all, all this stuff is so, um, it's so simple. <laughs> and in the midst of, you know, like life happening, it can be like easy to like forget that, you know, but it really is. And also like for me, um, it's meaningful to like have you say that, you know, as like a woman who's been married for 26 years, because I'm like, yeah, this is what I preach. Like, take care of yourself, put yourself first. And I just like don't have experience doing that, like with a family yet, you know? And uh, so, yeah, it's just like, I'll hear that message a hundred thousand more times, you know? <laughs> yeah, I I think I want to add to that, that 
part of what we're talking about is honoring my own experience. It's less mm-hmm. like, sure, sometimes it's about changing it, but it goes so far to just honor my own experience. And that is true when I am grocery shopping and cooking dinner, when I'm changing diapers, when I'm helping with college applications, and when I'm having the most ecstatic sex. Like, mm-hmm. my experience needs to matter to me. And from there, life follows, not the other way around. And so while you're asking this question, I'm realizing that deeply honoring my own experience contributed to life reorganizing around that is, I think, the best way I could say that. Mm-hmm. It's when we think our ex- experience can be put on a shelf for a bit, a few moments, a few decades, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we are disconnected from ourselves. And when we're disconnected from ourselves, it's not really possible for other people to deeply connect with us. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. And we all know it from the disconnection. And it's beautiful to have the opportunity to know it from having the connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I love it. Okay. Well, as we like kind of start to get to the end, I want to know your advice for me, an engaged woman getting ready to like enter a lifetime marriage. <laughs> Okay. Wow. What do you want me to, what do you want me to know? Like what, what, and and, you know, for, for, I think this also just is like, you know, for, for, for anyone out there really, who's like, okay, on the brink of like lifetime partnership. Yeah. I am. I hesitated for a moment because I've coached many couples who wanted to get engaged, but were like, we don't want to commit to something that we've never seen happen well. And I've also uh, coached a number of couples who were already engaged, but things were getting sticky. So I'm hearing the the beauty in your question. And uh, this is my answer. It's really, really important to clarify out loud what it is that what what is the value what is the culture what is the thing you want to do together because most people get married with either a lack of clarity about that or it's something which isn't actually sustainable for a marriage so to get married in order to create a family there's creating a family is wonderful but to marry someone in order to create a family, that will not be enough to sustain a really beautiful marriage indefinitely. For financial stability, for religious reasons, for to combat loneliness. I mean, there are, you know, like there are so many different reasons. And so to really spend time clarifying, like, What is it in its essence that you two want to be and do and have together? And I can tell you without most of the skills or wisdom that I now can offer that my husband and I really the thing that was our deepest bond was our own commitment, our commitment to our own growth and one another's personal growth. And that, that will take you Mm. all the way because then you can think, okay, well, what is the growth and learning for each of us individually and for our relationship together when things are wonderful, when they're not wonderful, maybe it means 
getting coaching. Maybe it means reading a book together. Maybe it means having a phase where you're just not continually working on yourself. You're just enjoying who you are right now. It can look so many different ways, but my point is that erotic chemistry, religious values, financial security, not wanting to be alone, (laughs) having a family. These are the things that are occurring to me right off the top of my head, which are the things that bring two people together or, you know, familial pressure. I don't know. Anything you'd add to the list of what basically is the common context for marriage? Yeah, it's like societal conditioning. (laughs) Right. Conditioning and pressure and prestige even. Right? Totally. Yeah. The list is probably longer, but none of those things can create a very fun wedding. Those things can create some really great experiences initially and initially could be a few months. It could be five years. But in terms of, as you mentioned earlier, this is nice to bring it full circle, like the ebbs and flows of life and each of you growing in predictable and unpredictable ways, sometimes at similar paces and sometimes at very different paces and similar realms and different realms. What is the thing that's going to really have you aligned and fulfilled, even when it's challenging and even when it's extraordinary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that so much. It's really, um, yeah, it's really like validating, you know, because it's like we just... We are in all kinds of conversations about like, it's like creation, you know, it's like the bedrock of our, of our um, relationship, you know? And, and I always say to Angel, my partner, I'm just like, I am so glad that none of those men from my twenties and early (laughs) that like there, you know, that I just didn't get married to any of them. Like it's, Because I would have had one of these. It would have, yeah, it would have. It was like at that time of my life, you know, the most honest thing I can say is that I was like very attached to the idea of marriage and the institution, right? And the look of it. But being in this partnership is like, oh my God, this is a whole other world, a whole other game, you know, that's like, so unrelated to like what I thought, you know, 10 years ago, like this is marriage, you know. Totally. And and if anyone is listening and you did get married for one of those reasons or a collection of them, <laughs> this is something that can be evolved and transformed. Like you can completely up-level your marital culture to fit what you now desire. This is, it doesn't mean a divorce and a new partner is wonderful as Angel. You can, you can definitely work with what you have and there's something extraordinary in that journey too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that reminder. It's like anything is possible if you're just both like willing um, to be like, to do the work and to grow and, and be in creation. have new experiences. I don't mean like climbing mountain. I mean in yeah, experience interacting. Yeah, totally. I love it. Oh well, thank you so much um, for being here, Alexandra. So I just appreciate. Um, yeah, I just appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. This was a beautiful yeah. conversation. I I love first conversations of this sort. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything just in terms of your work um, that you want to um, just let my listeners know about how they can find you, how they can, you know, get connected with what you're up to in the world? Absolutely. Come listen to the Intimate Marriage Podcast. And I'm on all the social media and I've written 
a book and actually this conversation has made me think of my signature program, the Aligned and Hot Marriage Program, where I teach how to create alignment and the heat that follows in a marriage. But all of that is at alexandrastockwell.com. So go to alexandrastockwell.com and you'll find whatever interests you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Alexandra. And uh, we'll see everybody next time. Thank you. Welcome. Bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you got something from this episode, please share it with someone in your life and pop on over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. I'm so committed to more people custom creating their sex, relationships, and lives from desire. And this podcast is a big part of that. If you have ideas for the show or want to learn more about working with me as a coach, head on over to my Instagram at Kaylin McDuff or my website, kaylinmcduff.com. See you next time.